Hey everybody, welcome to Masters of Divinity, episode 4, part 2, The Epic Conclusion. Uh, I just wanted to take a few more moments to thank everybody for subscribing and listening, and even rating and reviewing our show. If you'd like to take part in this process, we certainly welcome you to hop on the magical iTunes machine and subscribe, rate, and review. All of those things really help us get the word out and help us gain more followers and listeners, and that is something we would especially love. Masters of Divinity is a party, and we just want to invite everybody, even your mom. She can hang out with our moms. It'll be great. Anyway, here's Masters of Divinity, Episode 4, Part 2, The Epic Inclusion. Thanks, everyone, and enjoy. question uh, from Matt. Not really a question, but I, I just wanted to explain something uh, because he's, he's mentioned this a few times and I actually really like it. I think it's interesting is that uh, we're talking about how, you know, there's like a Christian industry and they do Christian movies and Christian music, blah, 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 blah. Matt once told me that he believes that all art is spiritual. It's just, again, it's the, the idea I talked about. I, t- I began to, to get into it talking about how I think our focus should just be making good art. But um, my belief is that there's no such thing as secular. So we have this idea of the world being separated into a spiritual and secular world, that there's somehow actual things that I can do that in no way influence my spiritual life. It's just secular. Um but I think like, you know, I mean, the Apostle Paul says, even if you're eating or drinking, do it for the glory of God. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's really a commentary on the fact that there is no such thing as a secular and spiritual life, but that your entire life, everything is actually tied into the spiritual. So when it comes to art, there is no secular art. There's only art that moves you toward what God intends for you to be and closer to an understanding of how he wants us to interact with the world and art that moves you one step away from that. Mm. Um, so I told JP, my, my motivational speaker line will be, which way does it move me? So when you go to watch something or you read something, see something, listen to something, it's not the question of, um, is this the quote unquote Christian music, but which way is this piece of art moving me? Is this moving me deeper into an understanding of who I'm supposed to be, who I was created and intended to be, or is it one step away from the person I'm, I'm meant to be, um, or the, one step away from the understanding of how the world should be and how I should interact with it? And if you look at things that way, a lot of movies that you would think um, don't help the Christian message would actually be a great a great thing for people to see because it opens our eyes to, to issues that we otherwise wouldn't know about. Um, it can comment on the darkness and open our eyes to the fact that we're moving towards something that we didn't intend to. Um, I'm trying to think of an example of a movie off the top of my head, <laughs> but I can't right at the moment. Well, I, I may have an idea. Chuck, do you want to? I was going to think of like Noah. Oh, the movie Noah? The movie Russell Noah Crow. with Russell Crowe, yeah. which I thought was, was a great, I mean, I know it's like a religious movie, like, and it's, but it's, but, you know. Um, it's something um, marketed as one. <laughs> well, yeah, and what's interesting is that Darren Aronofsky, who made it, I mean, yeah. he is an atheist, and he is, yeah. 
un- you know, he, that's what his whole thing is season eight. I mean, that's, he was very public about that in making it. And he really tried to show that as I think what you're trying to say is, you know, our society is moving in a particular direction. And, and I think like one, I'm, I'm very fascinated about the idea of what does an atheist has to say about God? Mm-hmm. You know, cause he kind of, you know, Noah kind of comes across as a madman at times because he, you know, you never actually hear God's voice. You're just sort of expected to trust that Noah is hearing from God. And so right. you're kind of put in the perspective of his family the whole time. Um, I don't know if that's really what you're, getting at but I, that's that's an example i i that i maybe yeah well let me uh let me just dive into the um to the spiritual side of the conversation since it's masters of divinity i, I can do that yeah um <laughs> but the real issue it's like you you hear about a rated r movie and you're told you shouldn't go see this movie because it's got bad language it's got sex it's got things like that in it and you're like okay i shouldn't see it but Let's approach it just from the the Bible, from spiritual side, um, and this understanding. I'm trying to express this idea of the real question is which way is is it moving me? The Bible makes it pretty clear that as a Christian, I mean everything's permissible. It, we could we could do anything mm-hmm. because we're free from the penalty of sin through Christ. Um, there's consequences, but we're free from the penalty. So technically, we we could do anything. So to say you shouldn't watch this movie is just the surface beginning to the understanding of why um, a certain piece of art would be something that I would say is not worth supporting. But when you go, when you go see it or know what's in it, cause I'm not saying go watch it and find out for yourself. If you know, it's something, something wrong. Um, the real question about it is what makes it wrong is the, is the separation it's causing between us and who God intends us to be um, between us and our relationship with him. Um, for example, I'll use a, a very obvious one, porn. You don't have to go watch it to know whether or not porn is something a Christian should be watching or not. Because the real problem with porn is the dehumanization that takes place, the um, just causing women and men and their bodies to be seen as just a basically just a playground instead of having any sort of actual relationship and purpose objective there's a word i was looking for thank you objectifying so the problem with porn when you really get down to it is it's warped understanding of humanity and therefore that's what i'm not supposed to be a part of so yes it's as simple as saying you shouldn't watch porn because it's wrong to watch porn but if you really want well why it's because it causes a dis it moves us away from what God intends us to, to be, from what the world is supposed to act like. Um, it's one step in the wrong direction. So it would be an example of that. Whereas you could argue that there's Christian movies out there, that the message is actually a step in the wrong direction. The way it's portrayed, um, the way it plays out on screen, the anger that's expressed in it is a step the wrong way. And then you could find a quote-unquote supposed secular movie out there, which again, an odd one to use, like you're saying, is Noah, but it technically that's exactly what it is. It was made by Hollywood to be a Hollywood movie, not a Christian movie. Based on the graphic novel. But it it actually moves one way toward an understanding of the divine, an understanding of um, humanity's role in the world and how we've caused so much destruction here on earth and the disconnect that causes between us and a creator. And this all came from somebody who definitely didn't set out to make a Christian movie. 
so the label i think is where it becomes comes a problem yeah um, i i think when you talk about porn porn's what I, what I mean that's a that's a that's a pretty clear extreme i mean i think right. there's plenty of people out there who would try to argue you know different ways in porn that you know you got right. you got people out there who say it's actually feminist which i think is kind of weird but we won't get into that but like but that's like, i think a, like that's a, that's like a black and white mm-hmm. for, for most of us Definitely. um i think where where i'm interested in is talking a little bit about the gray cuz backing up before you got onto where you used the the example of porn there's that sense of like i think of my youth pastor growing up he would tell us about how he would like the music the non-christian music that he grew up with and listened to it would bring him back to a place that was dark for him when he was like a, he was a drug addict at one point in his life and he did a lot of things that he was not proud of and so he would associate you know, he would hear that music and it would bring back those memories and he would associate a lot of that. And so to use um, a, a great Paul, Pauline phrase, you know, that wouldn't edify him. And so, you know, so he wouldn't listen to non-Christian music because of that, because he wanted, he only wanted to cultivate positive current place of his life type things. But then he would, but then sometimes, I, you know, him and folks like him who had similar experiences, they would sort of project that onto us as kids. And they would sort of, you know, so you don't need to listen to that because it leads to this bad behavior. Paul gets into those nuance, into a little nuance in the New Testament where, like when he talks about food sacrifice to idols and that line, like you said, you know, if you eat or drink, you do it for the glory of God. Well, in the context of that passage, Paul is talking about how for some people eating meat sacrificed to idols isn't a problem, but for some people it is a problem. And so you should be aware of that. Like you shouldn't be eating meat sacrificed to idols in front of people that you know that that's going to be a problem for them, right. um, that you should, that you should be doing whatever you can to edify those people. And, I, and for me, like, I always made that distinction as a kid for, like, the music that I listened to. Like, especially when I got, you know, once I got my own car, you know, I had a place to kind of hide my music. Um, it, I, I, you know, I remember that when I got my driver's license, the first thing I did was buy Nirvana's Nevermind and a few other records. So, I, you know, nice. I had been waiting years to get my hands on. Um, but, like, for me, like, I didn't feel like it, never, it necessarily was negative for me. Like, I, I, didn't, I didn't associate that music with drugs and alcohol and you know, bad things that like, you know, abusing things that, that like, like he, like my youth pastor and other pastors that I knew did for me, that was, I associated it with like growing up and, and different things that were like, you know, there was positive association. So for me, like, I felt like it didn't not edify, you know? So for me, it was like, a, it was, it was kind of a non-issue, but like there, like now I'm in a place in my life where I can look at some bands that I listen to that, um, I can remember dark times in my life and I have no desire to listen to them, but I don't think I need to make it into like a clear cut Christian, non-Christian kind of thing. But I think like that language of edification, it's it's somewhat subjective at times. I mean, I think like 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 going back to like porn is clear. Like I think mm-hmm. that's, again, black and white issue. But I think there's some things in the middle that are that are a little more subjective, and we forget that. We forget that, you know, like 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 like, like drinking. That's another thing I think a lot of us grew up with. That like you know, oh yeah, alcohols. To, you know, never never do it. Yeah. Never drink it. Never touch it. God never wanted you to do that. You know. And then we went to college. Yeah. <laughs> Christian college. Christian college. Yeah. Yeah. But like, but you know, and we ignored the fact that Jesus made like a ton of wine at the wedding at Cana, like an obscene amount of wine at the at the at the wedding at Cana. Yeah. But you know, the Bible is a lot more nuanced on this, and we don't. You know, I think a lot of times in the Christian culture, particularly like you know a certain kind of Christian culture, we don't like the nuance. It's easier just to make things very black or white. It's very easy just to say, do this, don't do that. And you never get yourself in, you know, you, you never get into trouble. You never have problems, you know, or whatever. And we forget, again, how subjective a lot of this stuff can be. And that as Christians, we're not, you know, we're not supposed to be bound by rules. 
We're supposed to be bound by what the Holy Spirit leads us to do. And so we can encounter this media in different ways. Like I like like JP, you like horror films. I love horror films. You love them. I've known that about you my whole life um, of knowing you. And like I remember there were times like I would come home when you were my roommate and you would have something on TV that I had like I don't like horror movies. Like I just it's not for me. And like like there's just like stuff in it that I know that like I just can't handle. And like there would have been a time in my life where I would have probably been really angry at you because I'm like, oh you're forcing me to see this crap that I don't want to see. But I kind of realized, like, I have to own my own, like, issues. Like, I realized, like, there are some things that you, like, you can watch it and you understand things that are going on with it that allow you to have, like, a divorce. Like, you can divorce things from it and you can, like, you can view it differently than me. It's just corn syrup, man. Right. Like, for <laughs> me, like, I see it. Like, I just experience that very differently. So I can't, like, I'm sensitive to that stuff. Like, I just can't do it. Mm-hmm. And, like, I don't think that makes you a bad person. I think there are a lot of Christians out there who think it does make you a bad person. Oh, oh I know. Believe me. Um, it was not, it was not easy being a horror fan growing up in a Christian culture. Right. (laughs) But like, I, um, first world problem totally, but yeah. Right. But like, I, um, but like, 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 but I recognize that in myself that like, I can't handle that. Like, that's not going to edify me. You manage to get some kind of edification out of it. That's awesome that you can do that. Like for me, like I just, it just doesn't like, I'm, you know, the, the, the psychological elements of that to sort of get in the way of whatever, like story they're trying to tell like and i just i just can't engage that and i own that i recognize that for me it's just a preference issue really um and i I think like those kinds of those kinds of nuances in our culture is i think it's an important thing especially as christians you know i mean like when jesus tells us you know that we are in the world but not of the world which is one of the most misunderstood and misused passages in all the bible um and in fact it's i don't even think that actual word is in the that that phrasing is in the Bible. I think Jesus says, you know, that you, that you know, he, he prays for his disciples and says that they would be left unstained by the world, which I love that distinction because to risk getting stained means you have to be around something dirty. And, you know, if the idea of being left unstained, like that means that you're in, like the, you're risking getting dirty. But like the, the, but like the prayer is that we can be in that without it staining us. And so, I mean, we are called to be in the midst of these things. Even Paul in Corinthians says, that, you know, at one point he says, you know, we would we'd have to leave the world entirely if if we were to avoid sexually immoral people and all this stuff. He's, I'm not telling you to avoid that. You know, we, you, 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 we're in the world to bring light and truth into it. And so we have to engage it. But I think we also have to recognize our own limitations and where we're at in it. I mean, you know, like JP, I would say, is gifted in the sense that he can he can be among the horror crowd. Well, thank you. Um, you know, I'm not gifted in that. Um, I would probably be disturbed by those people. <laughs> uh, well, to be honest, I, I am also disturbed by those people. So, yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> well I guess there's also different ways you can engage. There, the there, same are, there are. I don't. There are some folks that you know just when you find out they're a horror fan, it's like, oh, oh, oh here we go. Yeah. But uh, not Matt, of course. Matt's a horror fan. Yes, he doesn't, he doesn't scare me. Yeah. No, I like I like horror movies, and I'm glad I don't scare you. <laughs> yeah, to me, it's a horror movie is like the same as a roller coaster. It's yeah. the, it's and the I hate roller coasters. See, see, it's the adrenaline rush. You're just you're not an adrenaline junkie. That's the problem. Even though he's a surfer, it's total Bodie over here. <laughs> oh, and you want you want to see you want to see this is in my opinion. We'll go on the horror movie topic for a second. In my opinion, you want to see um, not to name other movies that may have trailers right now but you want to see a what i think is a very interesting and compelling movie about a trial about whether or not god exists sound familiar 
Um, it's The Exorcism of Emily Rose. Oh, yeah. Which was made by uh, uh, Scott Derrickson, who uh, actually comes from a very strict evangelical... Mm -hmm. uh, he, In his own words, fundamentalist background. Mm -hmm. And so many people were like, this movie trailer came out, and they're like, we're not going to see this because it's like The Exorcist. Right. But it actually turned out to be an incredible movie as far as the topic and how deep they go with it. Because what it becomes is a movie about a trial trying to prove whether or not there's a spiritual life. Hmm. Um, because, um, and I can't spoil it because I don't remember the end of the movie anyway, but the, the storyline is a girl dies during an exorcism. So the priest gets put on trial for murder. So the argument becomes, if the spiritual world exists, then what he was doing was right. If it doesn't, then he was keeping her from the proper care that she needed, and therefore he's responsible for her death. And you get to see the movie played out both ways. So they will have a, a witness account of how a seizure, seizure that she had was epilepsy. And then you'll have a account where it was a spirit... A, demonic possession and the movie becomes this back and forth and the characters get caught up in the discussion of whether or not there's a spiritual life interesting that kind of it kind of makes me think of a little bit of um the movie stigmata do you guys remember that movie oh yeah in the 90s? patricia arquette yeah. yeah it was sort of it was sort of advertised as a as a horror film and i remember like not seeing it but then um i was dating a, a catholic girl and she's like oh you got to check this out so she made me watch it and it was like such a different movie than it was advertised as <laughs> but it like it, it raises like a similar kind of question like you know, stigmata is supposed to be this holy thing that only like really holy people experience. Mm -hmm. And so like, what does that mean? What does it mean that suffering and holiness, like what are those, what are those connections there? I just, it's been a while since I've seen the movie, but I just remember being it's a very nineties movie. Yeah. But I just remember coming away from it being like, wow, they really marketed that movie really wrongly. Yeah. So speaking of marketing, I have a small comedic aside. We were talking about the movie Noah. I think I, I love the marketing for that movie because there's a scene in the trailer where Everyone's like approaching Noah. They say they're gonna they're gonna kill him, and because he's all alone, and then Noah like you know he looks at the camera and says, "I am not alone," and it's definitely like like you know the the, the choir music swells and whatnot because it's how market like he's God is with him, but within the context of the movie, he means that he has giant rock monsters behind him. The golems, yeah. <laughs> so I actually have a question for you guys. Uh, I kind of want to put uh, Matt's ideas uh, to use. And I want to ask you guys, I'll pose a question as, to, uh, um, is there like a, a movie outside, movie or music or TV show, whatever, that exists outside of the Christian media industry that is so, that is quote unquote Hollywood, quote unquote secular, that you think that, that you had like a, maybe like an intense spiritual experience while listening or watching to mm. I can come up with two right away. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> um, not to be too simple. The first would be when I originally saw Blood Diamond. Oh, okay. And opening, your your eyes being open to this idea of the, the child soldiers and the conflict diamonds and what's going on in Africa. Mm -hmm. um, I remember when I originally saw that, um, having reviewed it not as a movie, not as impressed, but the topic right. was still, um, it was very profound. Mm -hmm. And I remember leaving the theater feeling like, Things should be different because I saw that. Um, like you should be doing something differently because of the movie you just watched. Um, and it actually makes me think of a third movie right away. But the second one I was going to say is Sicario. Oh, really? <clears throat> um, intense movie. Yeah, very intense movie. And if you haven't seen it, incredible. Yeah. Um, but 
that one to me is, and this is a topic we could we could get into someday for hours on my account, um, is great for the idea of lament. Okay. Um, and the discussion of, um, it's just basically, a, it, it, that movie is just a cry for how messed up um, society has gotten and how how dark we've allowed things to become and why our motives behind those and are twisted and what they are and the agendas people are up to the way that movie plays out you just leave it going um like i can't i can't i shouldn't be living the same way after seeing how bad things are you know what i mean mm-hmm. um it just really draws a, attention in an, a, a very profound way to humanity and where we allow things to become become so all-consuming that we forget about humanity itself. Like, I stop seeing people as people and start seeing everything as a means to get what I want or to achieve my agenda or to drive the world in the way I feel it needs to go because ultimately it's the way I want it for me. And that movie, which, talking about it, I mean, it seems like if you heard what the movie's about, seems like that doesn't even make sense. But when you watch it, that's all the movie is about is people who have agendas, who set out to accomplish them at the expense of humanity itself. Right. They will they will kill, trample, maim, whatever or whoever is in the way of them accomplishing what they feel is necessary. And, I mean, obviously, there's a lot of political um, statements and stuff to that movie, too, but that's the, the takeaway I, I really got from it. So I'd say those two. The third one, just to throw in there, is Machine Gun Preacher. Okay. Much like Blood Diamond. <laughs> yeah, which title sounds cheesy. Look it up, though. Incredible movie. Hmm. Um, but yeah, Machine Gun Preacher, which has nothing to do... Like, it's not like an action movie. You hear Machine Gun Preacher, I think Machete. Like, it's machine... Like, he's run Preacher yeah. running around with Machine Gun. <laughs> sounds like a draft house film. But I would watch that movie. It's another one. <laughs> um, but it's another movie all about child soldiers. Um, and that, that one's incredible. Yeah. So... What about you, Chuck? Um, the two that come to mind are, are two of... Two of my favorite movies. I might have a third one too. I'll think about that in here as I'm kind of talking here. But um, probably The Beach oh. with Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah, I know, like not like necessarily a critically acclaimed film. Um, probably one of Danny Boyle's worst. <laughs> yeah, but I but I love that movie. Yeah. Like I, I, that's one of those movies. Like, I know it's a bad movie, but I love it. Well, I mean, Danny Boyle's worst is like every other director's like best. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, I think because that whole movie's concept of of the desire to build paradise and how we are in, as humans incapable of doing that. Mm-hmm. That's, I mean, that's the whole conceit of the movie. I know like I have a couple of friends who they feel that that movie should end. There's a, like, there's a shot in the movie where everyone's on this beach. The, 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 the central conceit of the movie is that they go to find this mythical beach in Thailand. And once they find it, um, they find this society that's lived there and they're sort of all kind of caring for each other. And it's just a utopian society beach and, you know, sort of as they call it a beach resort for people who hate beach resorts. Mm-hmm. And, there's this moment where like the entire community of the beach poses for a photo and they take this group photo and then the movie kind of, and it has like almost like, it almost feels like it's the end of the movie. I remember even when I saw it in theaters the first time, my friends and I started kind of gathering our stuff with, Oh, here, the movie's over. But then it just immediately he's a dark turn from that point. It goes down from there to show that the other side of what paradise is like, but I've got a lot of friends who feel like the movie is better at that point that it should have ended that. And I'm like, and I always think, but you're missing the point. Like the point of the movie is to say, we can't build paradise. And that paradise, that any attempt that we have to build it is terrifying, that we do bad things to each other, and that 
there's always dark secrets that we hold in order to to make that happen. And so that that to me has been a, a that, that movie was really um, eye opening about it um, mm-hmm. about all that to me about you know trying to find perfection in this world and what that looks like um, and and just the failures of us as humans to do all that. Um, the other is um, probably the Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou. Oh. Um, I know controversial Wes Anderson movie, and it's like this is like the whitest thing you're going to hear <laughs> um, on here is me talking about a Wes Anderson film. But um, it's another movie that's that is a, that is probably my absolute favorite movie. And the I, and the movie is it's one of those movies where every time I watch it, I kind of pick up on something different. And but the central idea around fatherhood and the desires of someone wanting to be a son and someone not wanting to be a dad and coming to terms with all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and just the complexities of those kinds of relationships and within, um, there's just this great part of the movie. I, it always, it always, it's the part that gets me. There's, there's two parts and that's like when they, when they encounter the shark underwater, uh, it's a great when scene. they play a star flure, um, yeah. by, um, uh, by Sigurd Ross, which is my favorite song, Bill which Murray. I learned about the movie from that movie. Yeah. Bill Murray's line in the submarine. What does he say? Um, he says, um, do you think it remembers me? Yeah. Because the shark had eaten his best friend. He said, you think he remembers me? And he cries. And I, I, I always tear up um, when I, with that part. Um, but, my, but the part that gets me is uh, at the end of the movie, he's sitting on the steps of this, of this um, movie house where they're premiering his newest documentary. And it's just, he's just sitting there. He's alone. And every now and then like, a couple of pops of flashes from the press are hitting him. And he's just sitting there. And he just says, this is an adventure. Right. And like that idea of so he's sort of sad you know, that adventures aren't always these like great things. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, you know, life is an adventure and sometimes it's a drag, but sometimes it's amazing. I, I think that that, I just, I just really emotionally resonate with that, with that part of the movie, just that movie in general. Um, but another Bill Murray film in my third, since Matt got three, I'm doing three. <laughs> and that is uh, lost in translation. Um, just because the idea of taking two very different Western people, putting them in Japan, and seeing like allowing their culture, allowing the, like the difference of the Japanese culture to sort of show how weird the world is and complex human life is. Mm-hmm. Um, and just all of the complexities of things that we deal with in relationships with aging, with marriage, with all of that. Um, that's another movie that hits me in a place that's probably somewhere between emotionally and spiritually. Right. Um, I'm like, you ask me like, where's Jesus in these movies? Mm-hmm. I, you know, with Lost in Translation, I might have a hard time answering that question. <laughs> Um, I think really theologically the beach I could talk about, um, because the idea of paradise and, you know, the idea that you know, we need Jesus to bring paradise to us rather than us building it ourselves. Right. Um, but yeah, those are the movies I think that are, that are some of the most, um, spiritually resonant for me. Hmm. What about you, JP? Uh, well, for me, the one that really kind of hits home, that is actually a, a very recent movie, um, that I just saw, I think about a month ago and, um, it was a, a documentary, an HBO documentary, which is available now on, on demand if you want to watch it. It's great. It's called Jim, uh, the story of James Foley. Uh, James Foley, I don't know if you guys remember, he was the first American executed by ISIS. Okay. Yeah. He was, uh, James Foley was a journalist. He was a freelance journalist. He didn't really work for any specific um, publication, I don't think. And he was about maybe a few years older than us, like maybe approaching 40. He kind of spent his whole life uh, being like a, he wanted to be a teacher. He was teaching imprisoned like teenagers 
uh, and um, he just kind of sort of fell into journalism, freelance journalism, a videography mostly. And the type of journalism that he really wanted to do, that he really had a heart for, was conflict journalism. He wanted to go on the front lines of, of wars and protests and just capture as much footage as possible and, you know, bring it back to us. And um, he was ca actually captured twice. First time he was captured, it was in Libya. And, uh, but they were able to get him out. And the second time he was captured was when he was captured by ISIS in, in Syria. He was on the front lines in Syria. And um, that really it resonated with me because I've been to Syria. And I was there before the conflict started. that's going on right now, which is awful. Um, but that's not really the reason why I think of it as like spiritual. I guess the, the reason why it was sort of a, a spiritual experience for me was that it kind of reminded me of um, what I used to do, how I would sort of like try to live this sort of like reckless abandoned life all for like the greater good. You know, uh, this guy, he was not rich. He was very smart. But when he wasn't like in Syria with his other journalist buddies, you know, he was like crashing on people's couches and stuff back home until he can get out again. And, you know, when he finally was captured, um, they actually interviewed a lot of people that were staying with him in captivity. They had all been released except for him. And the other guy that was with him was a British journalist who was actually still in captivity and is like doing propaganda pieces now for ISIS. Oh, yeah. I've heard about him. Yeah. They were buddies. Before, they, before he got executed. Uh, but just like the, the sacrifice, you know, that he put his entire life, his entire, like this guy, he grew up in like a, probably the whitest life he could think of. <laughs> you know, like he's a suburban kid, big family. They all loved each other. Uh, he had, his brother went into the military, blah, blah, blah. But then now he's like in this prison in Syria, like in the middle of this horrible conflict. And while he's there, he's like, he did his best to comfort everybody, you know, because he was so familiar with the culture and everything and um, what it was like to be in captivity because they already been captured before. And, you know, hearing a lot of people, like, be angry at him in, within the documentary, like, especially family members, like, how could you do that to us? He's like, you're just a stupid kid running around doing these things. They talk about it as if he was, like, like a skateboarder or something. You know, you're doing this from an adrenaline rush. But it, it all kind of comes around where they all learn that, he was teaching me something about like what life is really about um, and what's important. But it's a great documentary about uh, journalism and just like what these people go through to get us like those horrible images that we see on the news, you know, like they're, they're not just filming it. They're like in it, they're there. And so just a great sacrifice. Whenever I see movies about sacrifice, like I, to me, that's it's a very spiritual idea because uh, well, yeah. I think that's a very human thing. It's, it's probably the most human thing is, is sacrifice. Um, then Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Very Jesus-y. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the other one is uh, <laughs> uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. and the, the, the TV show. The TV show. Yeah. I mean, the movie's fun. Uh, P.B. Herman's in it. It's pretty good. Uh, but the, the TV show, you know... I loved it for the obvious reasons. Matt and I were both big Buffy fans in high school. You know, we, of course I loved the vampires and I loved uh, the choreography of all the fights and stuff and the cool special, cool special effects. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely of its uh, special effects of its time. Um, but there was a, a core to it all that really, um, 
it captured me at that age. And it was um, just, you know, you're following these characters who are so well written by Joss Whedon and so well developed by his writing staff and so well acted by the, by the actors that played them where, you know, when you're a teenager, um, you feel alone a lot, you know, it's, it's, it, it's sometimes pretty irrational to feel alone. Cause you know, I had tons of friends. I'm sure you guys both had tons of friends, but there are so many times as a teenager, we just feel so alone. And I felt like that a lot. And especially like, you know, when you go to like a Christian school, you know, they kind of take the time to tell you what you should and shouldn't do and what ideas of yours are bad, which ones are good, blah, yeah. blah, blah. That kind of adds to the loneliness. Uh, but the show about this girl who was slaying vampires and killing demons and stuff and, you know, making jokes with her friends, there were also these just very poignant moments throughout the entire series where they dealt with things like loss, um, friendships, romance, uh, unrequited love, which is a big theme in JP's life. We won't go into that now, but it's, it's, it made me feel like I wasn't alone, hmm. you know? And it's not like a delusional thing. Oh, Buffy is my friend. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Although you thought so sometimes. Yeah, but but the fact that there were these people in this magical world called Hollywood, like, knew what I was going through. Yeah. And they put it on this show about a girl that kills vampires and also dealing with all the teenage stuff. That was uh, love to me. Like, yeah. I really, I felt that the writers of that show loved me. Interesting. Yeah, that may, I can see that. I yeah. can see that. And anybody who doubts the amazingness of how deep Buffy could get, oh, yeah. I, I defy you to watch from episode one because you got to take the journey with the characters. Oh, yeah. It's all about the characters. <laughs> I defy you to watch from episode one till the episode, the body yeah. and not cry. Oh, I know. And if you can do it, you're either not human or you, you just, I, I don't know. You can explain to me later how that mm-hmm. wasn't incredible. <laughs> you know, the, the episode of the body, even that, that, that I had never really experienced loss before cause I was so young I never really experienced death. And that's what that whole episode is about is, grief and loss and shock through the whole experience you is that, see well, is that the one with um is that the one with um the librarians no 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 no, no. no, no we can't we can't we, if, if i'm gonna defy somebody to go from episode one <laughs> to the body and not cry we can't say what happens yeah right we, we won't do that I'll, okay I'll we'll, we'll readdress it you gotta keep well, listening i don't know man i so i don't know maybe don't tell me because i mean i watched buffy growing up yeah. i did like off and on i didn't get a chance to catch it all the time um, because pretty much every waking minute of my life was spent at church. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I enjoyed it. I mean, I, I, I think, I think the whole like storyline with angel and, and all of that, uh, yeah, the turn and all that is that. just amazing. But like, yeah. um, but like my, but yeah, but anyway, so Kane and I will be, we're finishing up Star Trek deep space nine yeah. and that will be finishing up all of Star Trek. We've watched all of Star Trek. She do all Buffy, man. And so that's now I'm thinking, well, maybe I should get her into Buffy. Yeah. You know, maybe I want to revisit. Of course, I've also kind of want to get her into Battlestar Galactica. I've never watched Battlestar Galactica. Oh, that's not available to stream anymore. Oh, okay. What's well, so with Buffy? Yeah. Buffy first, <laughs> then Battlestar. Then Star be, some BSG. See, if you doubted we were nerds, we're, we're all right there. <laughs> uh, but just to add on to, to get a third one, I'm kind of cheating on here because I'm using, I'm going to say Angel, which is a spinoff of Buffy. Angel is all about redemption. That entire show is all rooted in redemption. All of the main characters in that show were all like terrible people on Buffy. And then they became main characters on this on, on the spinoff. They went from these terrible, awful people to like the heroes who were actually probably had had to deal with more uh, 
darker stuff, darker issues. And, you know, you know, Buffy's about high school mostly and growing up. Angel's about being an adult in a very dark world where um, you just don't know what's out there and anything can lunge at you at any time. Angel is about, if you're not caught up in the lore, it's about a vampire who gets his soul back. And so, of course, it's about him living with the fact that he used to be a vampire that, like, slaughtered thousands of people, men, women, children. And now he's, like, he's burdened with a soul. And so his whole purpose is to find people that are hurting and to give them, um, you know, fight for them. Yeah. It all takes place in L.A. And the uh, the, the main antagonist is an evil law firm, which is such a brilliant concept <laughs> such a brilliant concept uh, but uh so yeah that those are those are uh mine and uh, i think that's a really good uh matt you're gonna say something well i think i, I can i can bring around the, the whole thing full circle for me anyway okay maybe you guys can add your thoughts but we jumped all over the place in this what i'm will be our first two-part yes podcast. two-parter um so we we're all over the place so to kind of bring it full circle for me anyway um, we started with Christian music, talked about Christian movies. Now we're talking about movies that, um, have touched us in a way that we would say is spiritual. Yeah. Um, and I would say for me, my view on the whole thing is not, I'm not going to say that Sicario or the beach or Buffy the Vampire Slayer are Christian in the same way that I wouldn't be the, uh, not, I hope I don't offend people, but I wouldn't be the hipster pastor who plays U2 for my worship <laughs> services. Yeah. U2 sucks. Um, there is definitely there is definitely a need and a and a wonderful thing that comes out of music and movies and art that is specifically to portray Christ and um, the Bible. So I'm not putting these movies on the in that place, if that makes sense. Right. But what I what my point is, I believe that these movies and music out there um, is doing a better job of reaching into spiritual issues than the Christian community is doing sometimes. And that's where I come to the argument that instead of having our quote unquote Christian um, entertainment, that's for the sole purpose of battling them, we should be diving right in and creating stuff on that level because that's the stuff that people's talking about. And I, and again, to bring it back to um, passion of the Christ, the, the way that movie was discussed, talked about, debated, argued, um, is because of the quality and the level it was made at. And so if we're going to make art and we're going to say that we're doing it for God's glory, then let's do it to our best and yeah. not as a knockoff or a counterfeit, but let's do it for real. And it's kind of the idea of, um, um, it's reclaiming things back for what it was meant to be like art, entertainment, things that are to point out the beauty and the depth and sometimes the sorrow and pain of the world around us. I mean, that's what art ultimately is to achieve. I mean, movies are made to entertain. JP knows I don't look down on a movie that's solely made to entertain, make you laugh. There's really no depth. It's just to make you laugh. I can enjoy that. Love it. But ultimately, art in any form is to is to direct attention towards something deeper, whether, like I said, whether it's sorrow or joy and beauty, it's to direct our attention. And that is a field that the Christian community, the church as a whole, not individual denominations and stuff, but the church, the body of Christ should be right there in the middle of, is pointing out the depth, the beauty um, and then doing so 
on a level that's worthy of putting out there, not just a knockoff. Yeah, I I think we'd be remiss if I didn't if if one of us didn't at least suggest uh, an example where I think that's done really well. Mm-hmm. And it's um, for me, it's a BBC comedy called Rev. It's about an Anglican minister in like uh, just a rundown inner city London parish. He's got like five people in church on Sundays. He's this fairly gifted guy, but it's just like he feels like he's completely ineffective in his ministry and in his life. And it's 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 got some workplace humor elements to it. I know like I've got friends who are uh, fellow clergy, fellow Episcopal priest friends who like they don't watch it because they're like I don't need to watch my my day at work on television because <laughs> um, it's that real at yes. times. But um, but the, the, like, I think of this one moment in the show where um, he's just toward the end of uh, one of the seasons, he's just, he's just bitter. He just sort of feel like he's dedicated his life to God and it's not done anything for him. He's, he's in this struggling church. He's unhappy. He's um, just, a whole, you know, so he's, he's just, he's just bitter. He's just a bitter spoiled brat toward God in the episode. And it won't, and he, and he goes to a party and he gets drunk and he's just being, again, just being a complete brat. And, the whole episode um, has these things where he's having these encounters where people are tr- like cops are trying to find him. And so finally these cops get a hold of him and they say, are you the vicar of whatever, whatever church? And he says, yeah. He said, well, one of your parishioners is requesting last rites. And so like at that moment, he has to quickly sober up and go to the hospital and say last rites. And it has this very touching moment where it just sort of reminds it, it just, it, to me, it hits me like in a place where it's like, that's why you do the things you do. Um, and like, so I think like there there are there, there's a, there's evidence out there there are people mm-hmm. doing these things and I think we should we should encourage that um, you know I like I've had a long time joke JP or not joke but like I, I've had an idea I'll probably never do it but I had an idea of creating like a like a scrubs for for, for young clergy <laughs> um, I think I was gonna call it collard greens you know <laughs> um, but um, just like sort of that you know new clergy what what life is like when you're young and in this crazy world um, and where's God and all that but because mm-hmm. I you know I think it, you know. And I do think this stuff transcends Mm -hmm. because I think everybody asks questions about God. Yeah. Um, Everyone wants to know what's going on. And I think that's a very real thing to touch Mm -hmm. on and, you know, we can, we can do a better job of it. And I think like, like Rev is a great example. I think that does a good job of it and, and and all of that. So, um, Mm -hmm. so yes, I, I echo what you're saying, Matt. I celebrate it. I agree with it. Um, I wish that we all had more time and energy and talent to do it ourselves because I think we would really make something amazing. I mean, just listen to this podcast. <laughs> Actually, yeah. Yeah, I've been. Wanting, I mean, you need to ask us. I mean, are we part of, of the Christian media industry with this podcast, or do we consider ourselves separate? Yes, yes. I'll I'll own it. We are. Oh, okay. <laughs> they might not want us. <laughs> but that's even better. <laughs> We're the podcast, even... not that they wanted, but the one they deserve. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think that's a great place to leave off this episode. <laughs> yes, but final words for anybody listening. We we want more movies with Christian messages in them. We just want it done well. That's all that's all we're right. saying. Um do it to your fullest. Do it do it to the extent that it should be done regardless of what the movie's about. Um there's a level it should be made at. That's what we talk about with these movies. Um do it to the best level you can. But if you if you have an an idea out there and you're gonna make a a movie that is just a straightforward Christian story, that's awesome. Just make it great. Mm-hmm. That's all we're saying. And hire John Post as your director. Yes, John Post right here. Director, He's or here. even if you just need someone to get you coffee, that's cool too. Find him at Twitter <laughs> and Facebook and our website. I'm at John Spencer Post at Twitter. Uh, email address <laughs> is John Spencer Post at gmail.com. Uh, 
uh, let me find my CV. Um, uh, I think I have a profile somewhere. I'll, well, just get in contact with me. I'll let you know. Let's do lunch. <laughs> Let's do lunch. <laughs> well, uh, thank you so much uh, for joining me, Father Chuck and uh, Backseat Matt. <laughs> We're, that's gonna have to. I'm. I'm gonna come up with something else. <laughs> Uh, and thank you so much for listening. Uh, do you have a favorite movie? Do you have a favorite uh, Christian album or a movie that where you have a great spiritual experience? Maybe you're not a Christian. Maybe you're a Buddhist. Uh, I don't know. Maybe you're a Scientologist. Leave it in our comments. Uh, don't forget to uh, subscribe to us on iTunes. We're, we're very active. Review us, maybe. Rate us, maybe. Love us, definitely. <laughs> Love us, please. And thank you very much. This is Masters of Divinity. Goodbye.